Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We're in Genesis chapter 37 tonight. And if you don't follow along this evening, I'm going to lose you pretty quickly because we're going to look at a good bit of Scripture. And so if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, I'd encourage you to get one from the pew rack there. Either if you're sitting in a front row, there should be one in the rack right behind you. Or if you're using an app, I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible tonight. But we're going to, we're going to skip through three or four different chapters and probably look at, oh, I don't know, 20-ish verses throughout the message tonight. It's a little more of a Bible study walking through with kind of one big takeaway and a couple of, of uh, support thoughts for us. And this series on Sunday nights this year, I, I, I thought this would be the last one. I think I may do one more, but we're just about done with this series. I've entitled it Counseling Classics. What I mean by that is as I counsel or I work with people and people come to meet with me, often there are some, some um, major themes or similarities where I'm taking people to certain characters in the Bible or certain principles in the Bible, certain passages in the Bible. And so it's really kind of been a, a hodgepodge series and not really going systematically through a book, but looking at different things, and, and it's on our website if you've missed any of the other ones and you like to, but they're, they're, they're things that often I'll be teaching or talking to somebody about one-on-one. -on -one. And I thought as I was doing that, I began to take notes, and what are the things that folks meet with me about the most? And, and I thought, I'm going to preach through some of those principles, some of those passages, and some of those characters. And tonight, the message is entitled, Can People Change? I think all of us would say, of course, pastor, we get saved, we're a new creature, and I think we all understand that spiritually speaking, but I'm talking about in our minds and, and, and in practice, somebody's character, if you will, somebody that's hurt us and, and dealing with that. Often when I'm meeting with folks, there's this person's done this to me, or it can be even on ourselves. Can I really ever change? Man, I, I keep, what did Paul say? He said, the things I don't want to do. I do those things, the things I want to do, I don't do those things. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? What was he saying? I want to change for the better, but it seems like I, I always find myself messing up. And even in our society and in our culture, we have some, some statements, we have some phrases that we say that we kind of ask, and we say, can a leopard change his what? Spots. Good thing you didn't say stripes, that'd be a different animal, I guess. But can a leopard change his spots? Why do we say that? The idea is once somebody's done something or I've kind of put them in this box, that's who they are, I don't know if they can ever change. Uh, we, we, we have another one that we say, we, we say you can't teach an old dog what? And why, why, there's some truth to that. Sometimes the older that we get, we can get set in our ways. We get in our comfort zones. We get into things that we're comfortable with, right? And what are we saying? I'm not really sure if someone can change. We have another saying that we say, we say, hurt me once, shame on you, hurt me twice, what? Shame on, shame on me. What are we saying? Well, I should have known better. If you hurt me once, I should have written you off, pushed you away, because that's who you're always going to be. The problem is Jesus said the opposite. Hurt me once, turn the other cheek. Hurt me once, go another mile. Hurt me once, forgive, 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 forgive until 70 times seven. 
See, these things that we kind of have in our mind, in our culture, and, and in our society, in our humanity, they don't always line up with scriptural principles. And, and this philosophy can be ingrained in us, and someone hurts us, or someone treats us wrong, and if we're not careful, we'll write them off, we'll abandon that relationship. Something goes wrong at a church, and we'll, we'll walk out of that church. We give up on ourselves. We mess up one too many times, and we just throw up our hands and throw in the towel, and, well, I'm done trying to be that fill-in-the-blank role in life. I'm done trying to be that friend, or that husband, or that student, or that, that, that spouse, or that parent, or that child. I, I just never be—I can never be that. That, what are we saying? I can't change. Or that person can't change. We give up on ourselves. We give up on our spouses. We give up on our family if we're not careful. We give up on our friends or on other Christians. When someone has hurt us, we give up on them. I want us to go through Scripture, and I believe if you'll follow along, you'll be helped, but you're going to have to pay attention on purpose and follow along in, in some passages here. Beginning in Genesis chapter number 37. Genesis 37, really for most of the rest of the book, you get to Genesis 50, it's the story, uh, uh, and we're going to get here in our verse-by-verse study in a few months, but it's the story of Joseph. Joseph's a beautiful story, but it's a painful story. Really, I don't know that there's much more painful betrayal than the betrayal of family. And Joseph, betrayed by those closest to him, by those that loved him most. Joseph hurt by those that he loved the most. And look at Genesis 37. Many of us are familiar with the story. Some may not be. Genesis 37, beginning in verse number 16. And he said, speaking of Joseph, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. Where are my brothers at? And the man said, they are departed hence. They, they went this way. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. So Joseph's trying to find his brothers. He's going as he was supposed to, as he was instructed to do. And verse number 18, look at this. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh, this, this one. They didn't like God's anointing on his life. They didn't like the ways that God was using their brother. It was a, a threat to them. Joseph had not done anything, by the way, to deserve this. He'd only lived for God. And sometimes the hurt that comes into your life, the misunderstanding, can be from those closest to you, and it can be of no fault of your own. You're just following God, and these things come about. Verse number 19, or verse number 20, come now therefore, and let us, what does it say, verse number 20, let us do what to him, church? Let us slay him, let us kill him, and cast him into some pit, and we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him, and we, will, we shall see what will become of his dreams. Let's see how good those dreams do when he's dead. Let's kill him. Let's throw him in a pit, and we'll just say he got, he got killed. We came, we were hiking, we were walking, and we saw his body there. He got, got killed by some animals. Notice this, Joseph has 11 brothers. There's one who had a little compassion, one who had a little character, and Reuben heard it. And he delivered, them out of, he delivered them out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into the pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So Reuben, he's trying to play peacemaker, but he can't just come out and say, let's let our brother live. So he tries to come up with a plan that they'll be okay with, Let's just put him in the pit and, and kind of leave him there. And Reuben's thinking, I'll come back later. I'll get him. I'll bring him back to dad. I'll keep my brother alive. That's what it says. 
Verse number 23, and it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. So they throw Joseph, the ultimate betrayal, into the pit for the sake of time. Let's skip down to verse number 20. Look what it says. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, let's go down to verse number, uh, right where we're at, verse number 25. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. So they see a, a caravan coming through, and, and they see these things, and, and, and they're sitting there. So we have, get the picture, we have Joseph. By the way, isn't it interesting? What did Jacob do when he was a son? Remember Jacob and Esau? He killed an animal. He shed the blood of an animal to deceive his father and really break his father's heart and betray his brother. Isn't it interesting how that same thing is gonna end up happening to him? It's amazing how the choices and the decisions of the parents can sometimes come back into the lives of our family. And, and the exact same thing to kill a, 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 an animal, to deceive and lie to, to a father, to break his heart and betray his brother is gonna happen on an even greater level. So get the picture. Joseph comes, he's not done anything wrong. He gets there and they kind of jump him. They pull his coat off, they throw him into a pit. And these heartless, that other than Reuben, these are heartless, betraying, evil brothers. They sit down and have a picnic lunch. They're sitting down and eating. Their brother's over there, can't get out. It's a deep pit. There's nowhere he's going. They've literally left him to die. Reuben's hoping, I hope we get on our way before Joseph and I can somehow get back here. But the others of them are, they're done. It's done. And while they're sitting there, all of them are scheming, but one of them, one of the brothers, one of the 11, his, he stands out in his scheming. Look at verse 26. Would you read the first two words? Ready, begin. And, and who? Which brother was it, church? Judah. And Judah said unto his brethren, look at this, look at the heartlessness. What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Part of that you could read that he kind of has a, a heart to save his life. He says he's our brother and our flesh. As I study it and as I read it, I believe it's actually even worse. He's saying, no matter what, he's dead to us. You have to remember the society in which they live. There's no Skype, there's no Zoom, there's no FaceTime, there's no texting. He's, he's getting sold into slavery, into a godless culture. He, they will never see him again. They will never talk to him again. For all intents, they're going to go, in fact, they go and do this. So it's not like, like, like Judah's thinking, oh, somehow like Benjamin, like, like, like uh, Reuben, somehow we can save him. No, Judah's not thinking that. Here's what Judah's thinking. If we kill him, it doesn't do us any good. But we can functionally kill him and make some money for ourselves. To me, that's even worse. He'll still be dead. He'll never see his family again. He'll never see anyone he grew up with again. He'll never see anybody. His life will be, for all intents and purposes, over, but we can profit some off of it. Let's sell him into slavery, and at least we can make some money off of the disappearance of our brother. And it was Judah that had that scheme. Verse number 20, it says that in verse 28, verse 28, then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. There are a lot of parallels, by the way, and pictures of Christ in the life of Joseph. 
And they brought Joseph into Egypt, again, even more. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. So somehow he was sold into slavery without at least Reuben knowing, and he's gone. Now look at verse number 31. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood, and they sent the coat of many colors. And they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. They, had no, they didn't care at all about what this would do to, jo- to Jacob. They didn't care at all about what this would do to their family, to their parents. They dip, they kill an animal, they dip the coat that, that, that Joseph's parents had made for him, a very special coat. They dip it in blood. They bring it back and they say, do you think this is, we, we, we just found this coat on the side of the road. Do you think it's, do you think it's Joseph's? We, we didn't see Joseph anywhere, but, and you know immediately that, that, that they had hand-stitched that coat. Every piece of that coat had been made, and, and, and their hands had been there and had given it with love. They had seen him wear it uh, probably for years he had worn that coat. And they come, and they lie to their parents. We're going to skip for the sake of time through Joseph going into the prison in Potiphar's house and Pharaoh's right-hand man and, and prosperity for God. Skip over four, three or four chapters, chapter 42. Chapter 42, let's go to verse number 18. For those that might not be familiar with the story, there's a famine in the land. God has blessed Joseph. Now, Joseph's been through a lot. He's been through even more people falsely accusing him. He's been through Potiphar's wife trying to, to commit immorality with him. He's been lied about. He's been, he's been forgotten. He's been left in the prison. Um, he's reached great heights, and then he's reached great lows. All of this happens And God gave Joseph great wisdom, and he knew there was a land of plenty. It was a time of plenty, I should say, seven years of plenty. And Joseph had led the government of Egypt to store away all of this stuff during the time of plenty for the time that was coming that wouldn't be a time of plenty. And so they have these great reserves because of God's blessing on Joseph's life, because of Joseph's wisdom. And now Joseph's brothers, this is now a couple, where we're at here is a couple decades later. So we're 20 plus years away from Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. He hasn't seen his brothers for two decades. He hasn't seen his, his parents for over two decades. He hasn't seen anyone. He's been, he's been, he's been, uh, he's been abounding and he's been abased. He's been blessed and he's been forgotten. He's been, he's been, had great things happen and he's had really bad things happen. And the brothers, they come, and there's a famine in the land, and they're out of food, and everybody knows Egypt has food, let's go. And they don't, they, they don't know where Joseph is. They have no idea what's been happening in the last 20 years. He didn't have a Facebook page to keep them updated on what was going on. And they come, and they, everybody's going to Egypt to buy food so that they could survive. And so his brothers come to him, and there's that reunion. It's an emotional story. Chapter 42, verse number 18. And Joseph, so they're here. Joseph said unto them the third day, this do and live, for I fear God. They still don't know it's Joseph, by the way. If ye be true men, think about that phrase. He knows these are his brothers that sold him to slavery. If you be true men, he knew they weren't true men. He knew they were liars, schemers, wicked, evil, surmisers. If you be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. They're talking about Joseph. 
They're talking amongst themselves. So he says he wants to make sure he can talk to his dad again. He wants to go back and see his family. So he doesn't just want to give them food. They leave and never come back. He says, okay, I'll give you all the food you need, but you need to leave your youngest brother here, Benjamin. I want you to leave him here with me. And, and they're, they're, they're worried to do that. And here's what they say. Isn't this interesting? They say, remember when Joseph cried from the pit and we ignored his cries? This is why it's happening to us. Isn't that an interesting thing? 20 plus years later, that guilt still gripped their souls. 20 plus years later, they still lived with this deep, profound regret and guilt. As soon as something bad happens to their family, the first thing is, it's because what we did 20 years ago. It's so amazing with sin. It looks so good up front. But the scars and the regrets and the shame Now, God can release all of that, and there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, but here's the reality. We look back and we say, why? Why do we do that to Joseph? That's what comes up here. They're talking about that. So Joseph says, bring Benjamin back. Skip down to verse number 36, please. So they come back and and tell him, if we want food, we have to leave Benjamin there. Verse number 36, notice what it says, and Jacob, their father, said unto them, because Benjamin wasn't with them, we have to bring Benjamin. By the way, their dad is still in grief 20 plus years later. I can't lose my youngest. I already lost Joseph. I can't lose Benjamin. And so he says, you got to bring Benjamin. He wants to see Benjamin. He wants to, and, and, and they come in verse number 36, and Jacob, their father, said unto me, me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. And Reuben, notice Reuben's character speaks up again. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. Reuben's character is still strong. Hey, Dad, you've lost two sons. If I don't, I'm guaranteeing Benjamin comes back alive. And if he doesn't, you can kill my two sons. What a man of character. What a good man there in these, in these instances. And then look at verse number 38, and what did Jacob say? And Jacob said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. Again, that grief still heavy on the heart of Jacob some 20 plus years later. If mischief befall Benjamin by the way in the which you go, then shall you bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Basically says, I can't, I can't handle any more tragedy. I can't risk it. You can't take Benjamin. Because if something happens to him, I can't live anymore. It'll kill me. That's what he says here. So Reuben's character isn't enough. Bring verse 43, verse number one. It says, And the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt. Their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. We need some more food. We we need to get some more. Verse number three, what are the first two words? Would you read them aloud? Verse three, ready? Begin. And? And Judah. Okay. Last time it said, and Judah, he was scheming even worse than the rest of his brothers how he could profit off of the functional death of his brother, the disappearance of his brother. And Judah spake unto him, saying, the man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, you shall not see my face except your brother be with you. 
If thou, and then he goes on, skip down, he talks about that. Verse number eight, notice it again, and Judah. And Judah said unto Israel, that's Jacob, his dad, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. And verse nine, I will be surety for him. I'm promise of my hand shalt thou require him if I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. Basically, now, we, we don't know if Judah's character has changed or not, because here's the reality. Judah could just be scheming again for his own profit, because here's the reality. They had no food. They were all about to die, so it wouldn't be past Judah to sacrifice his youngest son, Benjamin, for his own glory, for his own profit. He tells his dad, Dad, I promise I'll bring him back, but the last time he had an opportunity here, he was willing to completely get rid of his brother. To completely do that. And so, and Judah, and Judah, he says, Dad, I'll bring them back. And they bring Benjamin back. Skip down to chapter 44. You can read all of this. I'd encourage you to go back and read all of it in detail yourself. But for the sake of time, chapter 44, verse number one, and he commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry. I want to give them as much food as I can. Put every man's money in his sack's mouth. I'm not going to take any of their money. His brothers still don't know it's him. They still don't know it. And what a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and kindness. Joseph, the man with all the power now, is doing nothing but heaping blessings of love upon his brothers, and they don't even know it. I want them to take as much food as they can carry and put all their money back in there. I want them to take it back. What a beautiful picture of love, and and, and, and uh, Joseph's just amazing with that. Notice what it says, so they, he says in verse number two, and he did according to the word, skip down to verse number nine, chapter 44, verse nine. With whomsoever, he tells his brothers, with whomsoever of thy servants it be found, they put a silver cup in one of the bags, and basically they're kind of accusing them of stealing. They did it on purpose, because again, he wants to keep Benjamin here so that he can see his dad. With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be thy, my Lord's bondmen. So he accuses them of, of stealing. They say, we didn't steal, if you find it, you can kill us, we'll be your slaves. We didn't take your silver cup. Verse number 10, and he said, now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest and the cup was found. Benjamin's bag has the cup. The youngest, isn't that interesting? The one that Jacob had said, I can't send him. I can't send him. And at this point, they have a choice. They have all their food. They have all their money. What are they going to do? They had put, Joseph had had his servants put the silver cup in Benjamin's bag so that he would be able to see his family again. He would see his brothers again. What's going to happen? But Jacob loved Benjamin in a similar way as Joseph, the younger and beloved. A special bond there. And here's the message. You followed along well, and I won't need to be long. Chapter 44, verse number 15. So they're in a bad spot because they promised, you can kill or make your slave whoever you find the cup. And it was Benjamin. Judah's made a promise to his dad. What's he gonna do? Verse 15. And Joseph said unto them, what deed is this that you have done? What not that such a man as I can certainly divine? I, I knew you guys were lying by the way they weren't, but he's going hard on them. What are you guys doing? How could you do this? And Judah said, verse 16, and Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. 
It's interesting, Judah admits wrong when he hadn't done any wrong. He says, you found us out, verse number 17, and he said, God forbid that I should do so, but the hand in whom, so he tells him, we'll all be your servants, Judah says. He says, no, Joseph says, I'm not going to do that, but whoever has the cup, he shall be my servant, and as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. If all Judah and the rest of the brothers cared about was like 20 years ago, was their own gain and their own profit and their own lives, if that's all they cared about, they would have sacrificed Benjamin just like they sacrificed Joseph. And the one who schemed the most, the one who was pointed out in the original story as scheming the most, in in my opinion, on the worst level, was Judah. And now look what happens. So he tells him, no, you can go. Verse number 18, here's the message. Then Judah came near unto him and said, oh my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not thine anger burn against thy servant for thou art even as Pharaoh. And he goes on and he he talks and for the sake of time, skip down to verse 32. He tells him, thy servant, me, Judah, I became surety for the lad unto my father saying, if I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore, look at this. Therefore I pray thee, Let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. Isn't that an interesting turn of phrase? What did he do the last time? I'm willing to sacrifice my brother into slavery for my gain. What does he say this time? And by the way, and I don't care how it hurts my dad. I'm willing to break my dad's heart. I'm willing to bring great grief upon my parents. I don't care if they never see Joseph ever again, as long as I get something out of it. And what does he say 20 plus years later? I can't do it, Joseph. If it means I become a slave, I'm a slave the rest of my life. I'll be your bondman. Here's, I can't bring that heartache on my dad. I can't do that to my younger brother. And you know, I read this as I was studying through this, and you know the thought that hit me? He changed. He changed. The evil, scheming, wicked, ungodly, selfish, Judah. Totally different character, totally different spirit, totally, he was scheming and lying, he was the leader of of profiting off of his brother's demise, and today, some 20 plus years later on this day, what is he doing? I cannot do that, I, I can't, he cared less about himself, he cared more about Benjamin, he cared more about his dad and how it would affect him, he didn't care what it meant for his future, he didn't care what it meant for, all he cared about was, I can't do that same thing I did 20 plus years ago. I've lived with that for too long, and I don't know how, and I don't know where, and the Bible doesn't really tell us, but somewhere along the way, Judah allowed God to change his heart and to change his character, to change his integrity, to change his honesty, and he began to care about those closest to him, not predominantly about himself. He changed, and here's my encouragement to you. My encouragement is you can change. People can change. 
Those that have hurt you deeply can change. You know what Joseph saw? The one who ignored his cries when he was in the pit and maybe spoke up and did the deal. He's the one that had the idea, took the money for him and pushed him over there. And see you later, Joseph. I hope we never see you again. Enjoy your, the rest of your life in slavery in Egypt. He might have been the one that took the money for him. That was the last time he had seen him. And he's watching the one that cared nothing for him now saying, take my life, but let my brother go. He changed. Just three simple thoughts and I'll be done. Number one, number one, give people time. Can people change? They can. It's funny, the gentleman that sent me a direct message today, be honest with you, 20 some years ago, he probably wouldn't have had very, too many good things to say about me and I probably wouldn't have had too many good things to say about him. We weren't the closest of friends. We didn't have the highest opinions of each other. And, and, and now through social media, not just today, but multiple times, I've sent him words of encouragement. I've, I've, I've commented on things with his family and other things, and he's done the same. It's interesting how time has a way of growing us, isn't it? It's interesting how time has a way of, mature, if we let it, of mature. Now, by the way, time can also harden us. Time can also deepen the bitterness. It can harden the facade. It can, it can strengthen the anger. But if we let it, time has a way of breaking down some of those hard-hearted tendencies, some of those wicked leanings, those immature, I only care about myself and not somebody else. Can people change? Yes. What do I see in the story? Give people time. It had been a couple decades. It might take some time for you to change. I often tell people when we're counseling, and they'll come to me with a problem, and maybe a problem in their life, in their marriage, with their children, and their family, whatever it might be, and they'll talk about, I, I started struggling with this in high school, or this started earlier in our marriage, or, or with my children, I've, I've mistreated them in this way for these many years, and here's what I'll often tell them, it didn't take you weeks to get into this problem, it's not going to be weeks to get out of it. Now, now forgiveness can come instantaneously. But, but, but those things in our lives where sometimes it's in our character and it's, in, it's a part of who we are, sometimes it takes, it's like when we get out of shape physically. If you spent years not working out and eating terribly and getting in bad shape, you're not going to go to the gym three times a week for three weeks and be in perfect shape. It took you a while to get out of shape. It's going to take you a while to get into shape. And that's okay as long as you're taking steps in the right direction. And here's what happens. Much like on our physical, we make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to get in better shape. I'm going to go on a diet. And we do great for the first three days. And we go to the gym three times. And then we mess up once. And we're like, forget it. It's too, or we step on the scale. And the first week's really encouraging. And the second week's a little less encouraging. And the third week's not encouraging at all. And we're like, I can't change. I'm done with this. And what we don't realize is to get ourselves in physical health, if it took years to get out of physical health, it might take months or years to see some significant progress in getting back into physical health. The same is true in our spiritual lives. The same is true in our personal lives. If it's taken, a, if it's been a lot of actions and a lot of time to get ourselves where we shouldn't be spiritually or personally or relationally, just having one good meeting or one good meal or one good apology session, that's great. But don't expect it to be a magic bullet. It's going to take some time. Judah, it took him a couple decades, but he changed. 
And by the way, that change impacted him and his family for the better. It impacted Joseph. It impacted his brothers. It impacted his parents. They all end up living in Egypt. They all end up serving in high positions in Egypt. They have a beautiful, loving family. They have great reunion and great fellowship. But where did that really start? One, it started because of Joseph's forgiveness, but it started because Judah had changed. And because of that, great things come from this story. Give people time. Number two. Give people grace. Give people grace. And I put it in my notes. Let me see if I can find it. Here it is. Would you turn over to Genesis chapter number 50? Genesis chapter number 50. This is an interesting passage. Genesis 50. Look at verse number 15. So Jacob dies. They're all living in Egypt now. Joseph is still the the big man on campus. He's still the one in charge. Verse number 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Isn't it interesting? Years later, they're still living under the guilt of what they had done. They're still living wondering, how is Joseph going to get back at us? Why? Because for them, if, if, if someone had done that to them, they would have been looking for vengeance. And so they come, and look what they do. In verse number 16, they sent a messenger to Joseph, saying, Thy father to command before he died, saying, So should you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of thy servants, uh, of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. They come, and they still, in some ways, are trying to manipulate the situation. Jacob dies, and they think, well, Joseph was just being nice to us because dad was alive. And now that dad's dead, we're really going to get what's coming to us. By the way, Joseph could have very easily put them all in prison, and it would have felt really good, but he would have missed out on unbelievable joys that came from the forgiveness he extended to those who had hurt him the deepest. And so they come, and they're still trying to manipulate the situation a little bit, and they say, hey, da- hey, hey, Joseph, dad—actually, they didn't say it. They sent messengers. Dad died, and right before he died on his deathbed, he said, tell Joseph to forgive his brothers, and don't do anything mean to them. And, and, and that's what the—and on his deathbed, dad said, be nice to us, and Joseph begins to weep. Verse 18, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, behold, we be thy servants. I don't know. I think there's some fear here. Joseph begins to cry, and I don't know if they're worried he's angry. I don't, they could, they, he could send them to prison. He could have them executed. He could do whatever he wanted to. He had all the power in the relationship now. He had all the leverage. Would you read verse number 19 and 20 aloud with me? These are beautiful verses, verses 19 and 20. Ready? Begin. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass that as it is this day, to save much people alive. Number two, not only give people time, but give people grace. Give people time and give people grace. You know why Joseph didn't seek revenge the first time he saw them? Because long before he ever saw them, he had forgiven them in his heart. He had gotten his heart. We see that through all of his actions. He had gotten his heart right with God, and he said, you meant it for evil? What a beautiful perspective. 
the, the worst betrayal and pain and hurt of his life, the most life-altering thing that anybody could ever do to him. And you know what he viewed, his perspective was? You thought it was gonna hurt me, but God meant it for good. What a beautiful perspective of the painful situations of life. I don't understand it. By the way, he didn't like it. He cried for them to stop it. He was in prison. He cried. It, it was not easy after he extended forgiveness. His life didn't all of a sudden get easy, but it lifted a humongous burden. It's been said, I forgot who said it, but to forgive someone is to set a prisoner free and to realize that prisoner was you. And Joseph gave them grace. By the way, had Joseph not extended grace, even before he told them he had extended grace, he never would have found out that Judah changed. Because if he wanted to get even, if he had in his heart for 20 years, if I, oh, look at me now, look at my bank account, look at my chariot, look at my house, look at where I'm at, look at my, my resume, look at my business card. If I ever see those dirty, rotten scoundrels ever again, the first time I see them, I'm sending them to a prison. I'm going to come by their cell every day, and I'm going to say, how do you like it now? What, what do you think now? You shouldn't have done that then. Where's my coat now, boys? Look at the coat I've got. If, and by the way, how many people who have been hurt live that way? If I ever see that person again, I'm going to get it. If I ever get the chance. But because long before he ever found out they had changed, he changed his heart. He was able to find out they changed. He was able, the Bible says, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Look at chapter 50. Look, I love this. Verse number 23, it says, Joseph, verse 22, dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. All the things he thought he had lost because of their wickedness to him, he got it back. All the joys of family, all, the, all that time. And Joseph lived in 110 years. And Joseph, I love this phrasing, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. I preach another message from this passage, and you've maybe heard me say it, but I just picture that beautiful verbiage, that beautiful phrasing. They were brought up upon Joseph's knees under the third generation. That man that thought he would never see anyone in his family ever again, it said he got to see generations, and they had family get-togethers and parties and birthday parties, and come see Uncle Joseph. You lost a tooth? Oh, your first steps. Come sit up on Uncle Joseph's knees. Let me tell you some stories. Let me tell you about that. And I just picture all the beautiful joys that he got to receive, but he never would have enjoyed those joys if he lived in bitterness and vengeance and anger. You want to see people change? Give people grace. It's not easy, is it? But I don't know that we're ever much more like Christ than when we extend grace to those who have hurt us the most. Isn't that what Christ did for us? We hurt him, we betrayed him, we sinned against him, and what did he do? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They mean it for evil, but God, you mean it for good. They're trying to put me to death, but God, you're trying to raise me to life. They're trying to get rid of me, but God, you're trying to save them. Give people grace, you're never more like Christ. And then number three, give people love. Do you see verse number 21 of Genesis 50? So it goes beyond just extending forgiveness in your heart, but actually doing what you can to be a blessing to those who have hurt you. Isn't that what the Bible says? Bless them which spitefully use you. Love them, help them that hurt you. They take your coat, give them your cloak also. Those are hard verses. Verse 21, look what it says. Now therefore fear 
ye not. Guys, you don't have to lie. You don't have to manipulate me. I'm not going to hurt you. I will nourish you. And again, beautiful here. And your little ones. Oh, you hurt me when I was the young one, but I'm not going to hurt your little ones. And he comforted them and he spake kindly unto them. Joseph, what a picture of Jesus Christ. What a picture of mercy and love and forgiveness. Can people change? Oh, for me, maybe I didn't deliver it as well as I wanted to tonight. But when I studied that passage, when I saw that, it was Judah who stood out in his scheming. And then it was Judah who stood out in his integrity, in his selflessness, where he once was willing to sell his his brother into slavery for his own profit, he was now willing to go into slavery for his brother's brother's salvation. People can change. Sometimes it takes time. It takes grace. By the way, if you're struggling with yourself, give yourself some grace. God has. I don't know if I can change. Give yourself some grace. Let God's grace, it's the love of Christ that constrains us. We love him because he first loved us. You want to change? You're not going to do it with your self-help manuals and pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. You want to see real change in your life? Fall into and overwhelmed by the love of Christ. The gospel of Christ changes things. Not just at salvation, but daily and weekly. Let the love of Christ overwhelm you. And he would love me when I was unlovable. Then God, I I, I can try to live for you. And God, that's not pleasing to you. I'm going to work on that. And God, now I I can try to forgive that person and be kind one to another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And God, I'm living in light of your forgiveness, so I can extend forgiveness to that spouse. And I can extend forgiveness to that family member. And by the way, forgiveness doesn't always fix everything. Forgiveness doesn't always change the other person, but forgiveness always changes our hearts. And God, you've forgiven me. I can forgive that wrong that was done against me. And Lord, with your help and with your love and with your grace, I can change. And God, maybe, I can't can't affect change in someone else's life, but maybe, just maybe, if they see the love of Christ in my life and they see the grace of God in my life, maybe it will change them. Isn't that what the Bible says about an unbelieving husband? If a wife, if a believing wife has an unbelieving husband, a saved wife has an unsaved husband, what does the Bible say? It's her chaste conversation, her behavior, her lifestyle. Her lifestyle that pictures the love and grace of Christ has an unbelievably powerful effect to change the one that doesn't believe. Love and forgiveness and grace is a powerful change agent. Any of us been changed by love and forgiveness and grace? It changed our lives, it changed our directions, it changed our families. And yes, that was God's love, but that happens from human to human as well. We see it right here with Joseph. Love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. It's a powerful change agent. It can change your life story. It can change your relationships. It can change your spirit. It can change your outlook. God meant it for, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. I'm not going to hurt you. I'll nourish you. I'll love, I'll give you love you don't deserve. Why? Because I know the love I don't deserve. Can people change? The answer is yes. Can a leopard change his spots? The answer is they don't always. But the answer is yes, they can. Can you change? Yes. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. 
Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.